Welcome back to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode number 12. Today we have Major League Pitcher, Colorado Rockies bullpen arm, Lucas Gilbert on the podcast today. It's going to be a really exciting episode again because we're going to have another big league guy talking to us about his story in the game of baseball. Really exciting to get his take on all the things that are going on in the actual sport itself, which isn't much because of the lockout. So we're going to see how he's been handling it. We're going to get his background, everything you guys want to hear. So stick around, may get into it at the end of the episode about where we stand with all this stuff. But either way, thank you guys for listening. Let's just jump into it. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode number 12. Very special episode. As you can see, if you're watching on video, and probably by the title, we have Major League Pitcher Lucas Gilbreth joining us from uh, an undisclosed location because he's not currently uh, working out with the Rockies, unfortunately, and that's due to uh, stuff that we'll get into later on. But Lucas, we uh, we appreciate you taking the time, and hopefully we can get you uh, out of here <laughs> a little bit shorter. We're not keeping you around for too long, but uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, so uh, for those of you guys that don't know Lucas really quickly, uh, if you do, you probably know him as as the uh, dominant left-handed pitcher for the Rockies this year out of the pen. But if you uh, if you knew anything else about him or you need to know anything else about him, uh, he's also originally a Colorado guy. And, you know, Lucas, we like to talk to guys uh, about just the stuff that's a little bit outside of baseball because guys see you go out on the mound. They see you on TV, but they don't know how you started, where you came from, and, and your baseball story. So initially, we like to know sort of where baseball came into your life, how it started for you, if you're a baseball family, if you're the only one, kind of how that that whole baseball journey began for you from the onset. Yeah, so for me, um, kind of an unconventional background, I guess. I was a, I was a normal kid, I guess that you know, played multiple sports. I played a lot of hockey growing up. That was okay. kind of my favorite sport. And hockey's a very demanding sport um, in terms of ice time and practices and all that stuff. So I played hockey um, and baseball most of my life up until about eighth grade or freshman year of high school. And that's when I kind of uh, decided hockey wasn't for me and it got to be too much. And I don't know how much you know about the hockey world, but when you get towards high school, that's when they used to kind of tell you, you either need to go to Canada or play yeah. for a semi-pro team or all that. And I wasn't ready for that. And I don't honestly don't think I was that good. So, you know, I started to devote more of my time and energy into baseball and I started to play a little bit of football and basketball. And then uh, my coach, my baseball coach in high school, freshman year kind of sat me down and was like, Hey, you know, I think you've got a bright future ahead of you if you're willing to put the time and effort in and, um, not to say you can't play basketball and football, but I really think you need to really focus on baseball and start to put some conscious time and effort in. And that's when I kind of really devoted my life and career to baseball. And that's when I really was able to, um, kind of make those changes and start to develop at a faster pace and be successful in high school. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's good to know, um, where certain guys start, especially because you talked about you were a multi-sport guy might be a little bit unconventional like you mentioned with the fact of hockey because a lot of guys coming from successful quote-unquote baseball areas of the country southeast uh southwest california florida those guys don't have that that hockey as the other option it's usually football so it's interesting to hear that but another question we like to touch on is you know you obviously end up in the major leagues so was there a point you mentioned your coach sitting you down and saying hey 
you have an opportunity here to play for a long time in baseball. Was there a point that you personally found yourself on the mound or on the field at any point thinking, yeah, I'm I'm a lot better than these guys, or I'm going to yeah. be playing a lot longer than some of these kids that I'm facing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think baseball is a very humbling game, obviously. So yeah. there's always times when you get beat. But I think uh, towards junior and senior year of high school and then uh, sophomore and junior year of college, I had some some outings and some even innings, pitches, whatever, that I was kind of like, huh, like I'm, I might be pretty good at this. And I've been <laughs> yeah. blessed and fortunate enough to – you know, a lot of baseball, there's genetic, there's hard work, there's, you know, luck, there's whatever God-given abilities you have. And for me, um, stuff kind of lined up and, you know, you put the effort in and there's, there's definitely outings where I was kind of like, huh, like I might actually be pretty good at this, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy how, to see sometimes. How old were you when you, uh, you first hit 90 and what, and what was that like for you? When you, when you first heard somebody say you hit 90 miles per hour today, because I, I know it's kind of faded a little bit, you know, it's uh, there's yeah. been inflation with velocity, but like, I, <laughs> yeah. like for us growing up, uh, it, hitting 90 miles per hour is kind of like that magical number where it was like, okay, I have a chance to play professional baseball if I can put my game together. Yeah. So I think for me, it was the fall going into sophomore year or that right, right at the beginning of sophomore year. High school. And I didn't hit 90 of high school. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're like, like, okay, so people are like, he's got a chance. Yeah. But I was like, huh, how did I do that? How can I do that more consistently? And yeah. that's kind of, it was kind of the focus for me at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, Jared mentioned, them, go ahead, Jared. I'd say a lot of it is you're like, especially when you're young is you're trying to get to the, you're trying to get the velocity to figure out if you have that. And then you kind of try to fine tune around that. Yeah. Is that kind of where you were at? Yes. I was, you know, I was effectively wild in high school, right? And hitters aren't <laughs> as disciplined in high school and they're yeah. still learning. And when, when guys throw harder, they struggle. But looking back on it, realistically, up until like junior, end of junior and senior year of high school, I didn't even have an off-speed pitch really. I had a crappy curveball. <laughs> and, you know, I hate to say velocity is the most important thing because there's a lot of important things in pitching. But to be honest with you, and you guys know it as well as I do, Velocity is what gets you opportunities. And then yep. your other things, your other pitches, your mechanics, your command, that stuff helps you get to the next level. But velocity is the only thing that can really get your foot in the door. And as unfortunate as that is, that's just the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. It's funny, Lucas, I was telling Ryan, I was like, Oh, I, I was like, I know who he is. I don't think I've, we've ever met each other, but it's really funny. And when I was a, a freshman in college, I had Tommy John surgery. I was at a junior college in Arizona. There was no reason for me to go back down there and hang out. You know, Duco's mm -hmm. not a scholarship based. You're not really part of the team. You're just trying to get to the next level. So when I first heard your name, I would, I somehow weaseled my way into the, the pitching coach job at Columbine high school. Okay. And you, you, you were a senior in high school and I, you know, probably know Blake Wyman pretty well. Yes. One of and my good I, friends. Yeah. So Blake Wyman. So I was like, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're quote unquote pitching coach. I was a year or two older than them, maybe. Yeah. So not really their coach. It's more of just like the guy to hang out and like try to structure some stuff like yeah. college. Right. And I remember them saying, we have to pitch Blake Wyman, who's a, a member of the pirates organization. Now we have mm -hmm. to pitch. Uh, we think, you know, like the, the other team, I forget who it was, uh, Chatfield or whatever might be a better team overall, but they got this kid on the mound, like this big lefty on the mound that if we don't throw Blake, we might be in trouble. And I remember that was the whole emphasis was that was the first time I heard your name. This kid, Lucas Gilbreth from Legacy High School versus Blake Wyman, two guys that are now minor leaguers, right? Oh, well, one major leaguer. And yeah, triple Blake A guy. Most likely. Yeah, yeah Blake will, he'll probably get the yeah. call up, yeah, this year. And I've 
I've read yeah. articles about him getting the call up, but that's it's kind of funny when uh, when Ryan said, "Hey, Lucas Gilbreth." Well, I was like, "Oh, I, I know that name." So yeah, that's, that's so kind of funny. A, a funny yeah funny story from uh, a long time ago. And uh, I guess that coach was right. Uh, coach Gilman was probably right to say he was an okay lefty, <laughs> two okay lefties, because uh, here you are sitting in the major oh, league yeah. now. So seriously, yeah, what a cool story. Yeah, so so Lucas, you obviously mentioned your success in high school. You get drafted out of high school. You also more than likely have a bunch of offers to consider. Two different questions here, similar similar uh, concept. Number one, when you get drafted, was there a thought process going into that of this is the position I need to be taken at? Were you even expecting it? Was there a point in the major league draft process at a high school where you would have it would have overcome your desire to play in college? What was that decision like? And then on the backside of that, was Minnesota the number one? Was that a fallback? Was there was there different college offers there? And what was that entire process as a whole like for you coming out of high school, highly touted, left-handed, throwing pretty hard? Yeah, so the draft thing was kind of crazy because I, I don't really come from a baseball family. So my dad played college football. My mom was a gymnast. Like, you know, they, they knew sports, but the draft thing was a whole new concept. And, sure. Um, when they started reaching out, I was kind of at the point. I didn't know what I was worth, to be honest with you. And so I kind of made the decision, you know, I want to go to school. I want to get a degree. So um, when they called, it wasn't even that I didn't have an exact number. I was just kind of like, yeah, you'd have to make it a – pretty sweet deal for me to yeah. want to forego college and play baseball because especially now knowing how tough the minor leagues is looking back when I was 18 years old, I was not ready for that. And college gives guys, and not to say college is the right route for everybody, but college gives you some time to mature, you know, learn how to be responsible, learn how to manage your time, learn how to, you know, manage emotions on the field, develop all that kind of stuff. And, and it would have been hard for me as an 18 year old to really be successful in minor league baseball. But uh, in terms of the college stuff, I, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to a lot of schools. And um, I wouldn't necessarily say I was planning on Minnesota from the start, because when you think of baseball, you don't think Minnesota. of the state of Minnesota, obviously, because yeah. it's cold. But uh, I went on my visit there, and just the the coaching staff there, the record they have of getting guys drafted, yeah. um, the conversations I had there, I was like, this is the place for me. Because it was one of the few schools I talked to that the entire time we talked, they didn't mention winning, even though they've won plenty of Big Ten championships and had super regional appearances and all that stuff. They didn't talk about winning. They didn't talk about, you know, what I'm going to be for them next year and if I'm going to start and blah, blah, blah. They just talked about development and how they develop guys and how they prepare guys for the next level. And for me, that was huge because I think for any college athlete, um, that's kind of the goal, right? Whether you're at yep. JUCO and you're trying to get to a D1 or whether you're at a D2 trying to get drafted. There's a thousand different routes to get to major league baseball. But the biggest thing is the development piece and getting you ready to where you can be successful in professional baseball. And after I heard that, I mean, I think I committed during my visit because I was just, you know, yeah. so excited and it was so refreshing to hear that from them and not to talk bad about any other colleges, but, and winning's important, but you know, that was the first school that really sat me down and was like, you know, we want to develop you. We want to make you the best pitcher you can be. And it had nothing to do with the program. It had nothing to do with wins and losses. And I really respected that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, good. No, so yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a, a good incentive for you to know that that's that was on their mind too. Um, just getting you to the next level, Because right? I I know that there's there's college coaches out there for sure that they want it done their way. 
And especially mm-hmm. I saw that in the junior college level. It's like they want done their way. They care about winning. They're not they're not necessarily worried about, you know, whether you were effectively wild, you know, when you came in or whatever it was, they weren't worried about that. They were worried about like yeah. what's gonna work for me right now, not how can yeah. I develop this player. Yeah, so that's, how do I yeah. use them effectively? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, understandable. yeah, I mean, and there's a distinction as well between I think everybody knows it that has experienced or even just watch college sports to a certain degree, but you find out or you watch things like um Alabama football or something like that, and you you think to yourself, how the hell does Saban how does Saban keep landing guys like this? How does he effectively recruit so well? And it sounds like a lot of the guys get persuaded by the fact that he comes in and says, hey, you want to play in the NFL, you go to Alabama. That's where you come to play. Not We're also going to win in the meantime because our team's going to be absolutely loaded. But if you want to play in the NFL, come to Alabama. And so it's a good, it's a good recruiting technique, I think, definitely for coaches moving forward, you know, to say – you want to play at the next level, this is the spot for you, you know? It's a good idea. But um, mentioning the Minnesota experience, the next question we wanted to get to is just sort of uh, your general takeaways. Obviously, you got drafted. You uh, dominated for the most part. Looking at the, the stats in college, your freshman year, obviously it looks like more of a developmental year. Your sophomore year, things tuned up, and then junior year, you really dialed it in. So junior year for you going in just your entire experience in minnesota what uh what did that do for your baseball career you know you mentioned the development maturity and everything like that how did that kind of help your baseball career yeah so that freshman year exactly like you said it was it was a developmental year and that's hard to process you know i had some really bad outings to be honest with you and i had some good outings and every time i got done pitching they kind of tried to talk to you about the bigger picture right like you know, I think the first save opportunity I ever had in college as a freshman, I blew. I think I gave up two runs to blow a save, first ever opportunity. And obviously, as a you know freshman in college, I was distraught. I was like, what the heck? You know, I yeah. suck. I'm not ready for this. And they were like, no, we want to give you opportunities so that when you're a sophomore or junior next year, you can have an idea of what it's like and how to be effective and how to manage your emotions. And so that freshman year was good. It was a lot of learning opportunities and a lot of growing pains because, you know, g- coming from Colorado baseball, absolutely, um, it's not exactly the most um, prestigious baseball in the country, obviously. Yeah. So coming from there, there was, a, there was an adjustment period for me. So um, after that freshman year going into sophomore year, I, you know, started in the bullpen because, you know, I was always a guy that's whatever the team needs me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And that's kind of the atmosphere you create in college. So I got some good opportunities out of the bullpen and I I had a good year. And then my junior year, I went back to a starter role, um, you know, because that's what the team needed to an extent. And I I was able to have success there. And there were some growing pains a little bit again, because it's, you know, going from relieving to starting, it's always a tricky transition. But um I was fortunately able to have, you know, good staff around me and good coaches that believed in me to help me kind of push through that process. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned about whatever the team needs to the last guy that we had on Ken Emanuel talked, he had a bit of a back and forth with people on the outside because he got criticized. Coach got criticized for overusing him and certain situations as a starter. And then he came out of the bullpen and then started the next game and seemed like, there was an overuse, a concern of overuse, but the bottom line is it sounds like a lot of guys that end up playing college baseball have a lot of success at the next level because they realize, you know, I could start or I can come out of the bullpen or if I'm a hitter, I'm not just a shortstop, I, especially in college. Yeah. I I might need to play second. I might need to play third. Mm-hmm. I might need to play center field. So I feel like you mentioned 
college preparing you for that and teaching you those valuable skills that you may not necessarily recognize while you're learning them. But when you come out of college, you start to realize, oh, wow, like there's a lot of skills that I developed that coach got out of me that didn't seem like it when I was running these poles and throwing up and freezing my ass off and stuff like that. But it's all important. So you go through college, you have a good, obviously a really good experience at Minnesota and you get drafted the second time. Now the second draft experience seemingly would be much more predictable. You know, you're a junior, you know, you're eligible, you know, the success you've been having. We also like to know with this question, the draft experience is a second time overall, how that was like for you and more even specifically draft day and how that went for you. If there was a on the couch with the family or if there was a expectation or anything like that, because you end up getting drafted by the Rockies and you had been previously drafted by them. So was that a, an established thing? They obviously liked you in some capacity. So how did that whole process go for you? The draft junior year? Yeah. So the draft process is crazy first and foremost, because there was a lot of, there's a lot of teams you talk to and a lot of questionnaires and yep. um, draft day in particular is insane. And I hate it, but you know, <laughs> fortunately I'll never have to do it again, but you know, there's a lot of phone calls and, you know, calling you, okay, well you take this and you say, yeah. And then they draft somebody else. And, you know, now knowing how the draft rooms kind of work and how chaotic they really are, it makes sense because you know, those draft rooms, somebody's yelling a name, somebody else is yelling a name. And sometimes it's just whoever yells the name the loudest. Yeah. But uh, going into it, I wanted to go to the Rockies. And, uh, you know, I made that clear to my agent. And that's one of those things. You know, I had the connection. I played on the scout team in high school. And they had drafted me prior to that. And um, when they finally called, I was I was ecstatic. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but in terms of sitting on the couch, I'm one of those people, when I get nervous or I get anxious, I, I have to be doing something. So I went fishing. And my family was like, no, like, you got to hang out. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I, I feel like the third or fourth phone call that I got and didn't get drafted, you know, right after the call, I was like, okay, I'm going fishing. I'm tired. Of this. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't just sit here and watch the TV and watch the guys that get drafted. Cause I was losing my mind. Yeah. So it, it's a bit crazy, but everything happens for a reason. And, you know, obviously I made it to where I want to be now and you know, everything worked out, but yeah, you know, baseball is a million different paths. You never know. hundred percent. You mentioned the Rockies as a team, did you you wanted to go to the Rockies? Was there another team that you felt was a strong possibility or teams that were maybe more interested? You, you mentioned all these calls you're getting. Were you confident that it was going to end up with the Rockies or was it a very scramble type? Not entirely sure. Because some guys, of course, the, the higher draft picks, but even just guys in general, they end up going to a team and at the end of the day, they look back and say, oh, well, that makes perfect sense this team was on my ass nonstop. i talked to other teams yeah. but these guys wanted me more than anybody was that the case with the rockies or was it still kind of a jumble it was it was a jumble for me honestly i think some of the teams that were the most interested i never even heard from on draft day you know like talked to the um indians at the time guardians now or whatever yeah. um quite a bit i talked to the orioles a ton um the rangers and you know you, i don't know if you know much about the scouting world but there's associate scouts, area scouts, cross checkers, yeah, cross checkers, yep. and so it's like if a cross checker really likes you, you're in great shape. But if an area scout loves you and doesn't would do anything, anything for you, yeah. that doesn't mean anything, unfortunately. So 
Um, I had a lot of those guys that were like, I am going to get you drafted. You, we need you, you know, and then draft day comes around and you don't hear a word. So yeah. um, it was kind of a jumble for me. I think um, I thought the Orioles were going to take me to be honest with you. And then they didn't. And then I was fortunate to go to the Rockies. Yeah. That's it's super fortunate, obviously being your hometown team and do transitioning to the professional experience for you uh first year you're in grand junction with the grand junction rockies as a general experience rookie year how was that for you being having the experience that some guys may not be used to i'm sure you were coming across guys from all walks of life but having experience pitching in college or excuse me in colorado i can tell people firsthand that coming from where I came from in California to pitching in Colorado was a drastic change. I mean, night and day, different baseball altogether. Now, granted, you're not facing metal bats anymore, but you're still in Grand Junction, which is the Western Plains of Colorado. The elevation's still high and you're used to that. But the first year for you as as a pitcher, as a professional, how did that unfold for you being back home sort of within hours distance of of home yes no it was nice it was the first time in a while my family was able to like just drive out and watch a game because minnesota i mean it's not a terrible flight but it's not exactly one you can drive out for the weekend right. so it was nice to be able to have my parents and my wife and my sisters um be able to come out um and make a you know three-hour drive and get out there and uh from the from the baseball side it was it was nice to have the colorado background and you know understanding what the ball does in denver and you know, you you do have to be careful to a certain extent. It's not the end all be all, but you have to be conscious of it. And uh, developmental wise, that was when they were really trying to teach me a change up and oh. uh, to no avail because I still <laughs> throw a change up. But um, that was it. that was a big uh, developmental year for me, learning how to command my fastball and throw a change up. So there's a lot of stuff, and and the Rockies are big on, especially at the lower levels. You're there to develop something. They don't right. necessarily care about the statistics. They don't necessarily care about wins and losses. Um, they're trying to get you to develop certain pitches so that you can help them ultimately in the big leagues. Yeah, so it, it, it's definitely a, a different mindset. Yeah, I just would imagine you you would have an advantage, just even if it's a small one, right? Compared to maybe some of the the rookie ball guys coming, like I said, from internationally to coming from Florida, coming from California. Those guys are probably, and on the flip side, the hitters are probably pretty pretty stoked that they could, especially at that Saplesio Field, just right-handed oh. hitters could just hook balls. Uh, over that yep. 300 foot wall. I mean, it's, it's a tall wall. Jared and I played there uh, in college and stuff. And so we've seen balls that were like, I mean, already in college at the biggest fields thinking no way that gets out. And then at Simplesio, it's, it's almost, it's worse. You know, you see a guy yeah, hook a ball to left or a right, a left-handed hitter. Just it's a pop-up to, to shallow left field in some, some cases when I see it off the bat yeah. and it carries out. So I'm sure you were able to, yeah. at least, at least when you had balls that happened to you like that, whether you're on the mound or it's the opposing team, maybe even pull a guy aside and be like, dude, don't worry about yeah. it. He did not catch all of that. It it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas, Lucas, you, you probably had played there before too, during your, uh, during your high school years at some point, right? Yeah. You'd made, yes. made the trip down to grand junction. So the, how, how was that being, the minor league field that you end up on happens to be a field that you've already played on. Because I know for a lot of guys, you've never played. I mean, there's a lot of minor league parks around the country, obviously. And a lot yeah. of like it, like it's, you could have experienced a new one. It's just kind of funny that you ended up being at the one that you've been to probably more than any other one. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's a small world. Like, obviously, I had a lot of friends go to Mesa. Yeah, I'd, I'd played at the field before in high school. And it was kind of weird just driving to it and being like, yeah, I've been here before. I've been to Grand Junction. This is where I am now. And, you know, you got guys coming from Florida, Georgia, California. Everybody was kind of like, oh, what is this place? And it's funny because, you know, I had prior experience there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know how Colorado works. It's definitely its own beast in a way. But yeah. at the same time, it's baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you finish up in Grand Junction. You get that full year under your belt. You get single A the next year, high A the year after that. You're trending upwards. You're advancing levels, right? Did you feel like you were on the right path after the high A year, 2019? We're feeling good. Obviously, nobody can predict what unfolds the year after that, but you're going in, into finishing high A, 2019. Stats are staying where they should be, right? You're, there's no conscious thoughts in the back of your head like oh i'm i'm gonna get cut you know 90 ra nothing like that this numbers were staying even how did you feel after that 2019 year were you projecting a couple years out were you hoping it was going to be one more year what were your thoughts after that high a yeah i kind of got to the point for me where i you know you kind of get in no man's land to a certain extent at points sure. in the minor leagues right like high a for example you know you're you feel like you're close but if you really think about it, you're not that close because you're sitting there saying, crap, well, maybe next year I go to double A. And the year after that, you know, maybe I get a triple A. And the year after that, maybe I get some time in the big leagues. And then, you know, I'm up and down. The next thing you know, you're 30, right? So, yeah, yeah, I kind of got in that no man's land after that year and I was frustrated. And, you know, then, of course, COVID hits and I'm, you know, even more frustrated. I'm like, crap, what, right. what am I going to do? So that's when I had some conversations and I wanted to make the transition to the bullpen and, I made some mechanical adjustments to start throwing harder. And that's what I put all my time and attention in to becoming the best reliever I could be. Um, and then kind of tried to prove myself that, that at the end of that 2020 pandemic year in the uh, instructional league or fall league, um, I was able to go out and throw and it, it put me in a good position going into spring training 2021. Yeah. And that's, that was our next question as a minor leaguer going through you show up to spring training just like everybody else did. You're at camp and then shut it down. Bang it. We're done. We don't know how long it's going to be. Ends up being months, a full year for minor league guys. What did 2020 look like for you as far as development? Were you going to, you know, were you throwing weighted balls into the side of your house, you know, in the backyard? What, what did that development year look like for you? Because a lot of guys can be set back by that, but it sounds like you made a, yeah. even a bigger jump. Was a fisherman. He was. He just cast it. That's all he could uh, do. Yeah. He said yeah. hit it. Just throw a huge weight on there, and he's just just whipping it out there. Yeah. That's a secret. <laughs> so I uh, I was fortunate enough. I had a facility, uh, Thunder Baseball Academy, that they got. They were closed because of COVID. Um, but I ended up just going there because nobody was in there, and I was able to go by myself. So I did that yeah. for a while, and then I built a little plyo wall thing in my garage, nice. and so through almost the COVID and I set up a little home gym in my little one car garage at my wife and I's little townhouse. And nice. I was just kind of doing that thing on my own the entire time. And I was able to uh, get all the stuff done that I needed to and uh, have the opportunity to continue to develop. Sorry, my dog's barking. No, you're good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Jerry, we talked about, we talked to uh, Ken about it too everybody's different everybody's got their different experiences you've seen the videos of a Roldis chapman in his penthouse suite in new york city just on the on the uh 
whatever workout contraption he's got and he's got nine plates on there just dripping sweat you know it's it's different for everybody but it sounds like a lot of guys had to make do with what they had it sounds like lucas had a, had a house at a townhome it's just it's interesting to see the different oh. the different stories obviously guys have different resources too right freddie freeman's yeah, living in a well. nine-bedroom house he, he can turn one yeah. of them into a simulator almost or a you know there's all kinds of stuff guys can do well, but for minor leaguers think, it was so different well i think Absolutely. as a as a as a baseball fan and as a, like you know an advocate for the players like for the most part like that's that's what really where you really feel the pain especially with the with the covid and now the lockout is the minor league guys you know because he like he said you know like you seem like you're in high a you feel like you're close maybe i can get the double a maybe i can get in the majors but you're not really taking you're not really thinking as like on the outside perspective for a guy that hasn't made it to the major leagues and is kind of uncertain about you know what that's going to look like as in terms of making a living you're just taking years out of you know little chunks out of their career like the the, the time that they have to you know build a life for themselves because hopefully you know lucas like hopefully you know you you continue to succeed out of the bullpen have a big contract it really sets you up for that next stage as well yes. when the minor league guys aren't having that ability to have the you know get closer to that contract that's where i get pissed off and that's where that's where it hurts as a as a fan of a player you know what i mean so yes absolutely and i think that's the hardest thing and even with the current lockout stuff it you know there's not a whole lot you can do for the minor league guys um from the le- from a legal standpoint which sucks because I'm, I'm a big advocate and you know, it's hard to get those guys. The things you go through in the minor leagues are obviously a problem, and they're trying to do things to address it. But like you said, let's say you go to college, get drafted, play in the minor leagues for six or seven years. You leave that, and what did you really gain from it? Yeah, some yeah. experience. It was cool, but yeah. at the end of the day, you're making, you know, six grand a year. You're in financial hardships as you leave and you have zero work experience and you're either going back to college or entering the workforce at 28 years old. So, you know, I'm a firm believer that something needs to change there. But even, you know, with this current lockout situation to me, it's like, okay, what's the next best thing we can do? If a guy does make it, he should be able to be set up for life, right? Absolutely. But even with the current setup, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, only... I want to say less than 10% of all professional baseball players ever make it to the MLB, right? And so you take the low percentage that actually make it to pro ball, and then you negate that even more to get to the MLB. It's, it's you know, it's such an uphill battle. And I think yeah. the experiences I gained from the minor leagues and the friendships and the connections I made were awesome. But from a professional and career standpoint, I, I, you almost end up being behind because you've tried to pursue your dream for a few years. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, and obviously you should, because it, it can ter- it become very lucrative as we all know, but yeah, that's, that's one of those things. It's like, um, you could have been, you know, any minor league or could have been, a, that might make it up to the major leagues. Well, that now they're in a position when they're negotiating their contract, they're likely two years older, basically. Well, not saying that this yes. year's a wash. I'm just saying the yes. COVID year, if you didn't make it up was basically a wash. And this year just being delayed, it's got to be like after just going through the COVID shit, like it's got to bring some sort of anxiety to the minor leaguers from the professional standpoint. So definitely feel for you guys, for the minor leaguers there. Um, luckily, you made it up last year, yeah, but yeah, luckily. you made it up last year, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm we'll, rooting for you guys here, obviously. Yeah. So. Well, and we'll get to the lockout here, here shortly, but the last sort of stint before the big leagues was, you missed 2020 and then 2021 you start and make the jump huge jump to triple a albuquerque yeah. for those 
that don't know but are listening, and it sounds like you only got two games under your belt before the the initial call ended up happening. But even Albuquerque itself for the Rockies actually is probably the best possible place for the pitchers to go and and be right on the cusp of that big league roster because a lot of guys come over in free agency or they come straight from double a or even lower than that and albuquerque for those that don't know is super high elevation i think it's it might be higher than coors field if i'm not mistaken so so you obviously didn't spend a lot of time there but how did that how did that jump occur how did you find out hey triple a is where we're gonna have you this year was there something you did to prove them was it was it camp for you what was that that transition how did that jump happen so quickly so weirdly enough because the minor league season was delayed i actually made my mlb debut before i made my triple a debut um but yeah they uh we were at a alternate site i think for the month of april or whatever because minor sure. league season was delayed but um, going through camp, not to say I was oblivious, but I was just kind of happy to be there. And, you know, I was working hard and trying my best. And I started watching and they make cuts about every week during big league camp. And you see guys get option down and more guys get option the next week. And then I'm starting to get to the end. And I'm like, it's like March 28th at this point. I'm like, wow, I still haven't been optioned. Like, that's crazy. So I made it to the last day before I got option. And they said, you know, you're this close to making a team, blah, blah, blah. You'll be back up. And I was going, like, huh. So, I mean, I think I threw pretty well in camp and it was it was some good opportunities to get some reps. And I think I kind of proved that I was either close or I was ready. And so I got to throw out the alternate training site. I think I only threw there a couple of times because I was sure. up and down a little bit in April. And then May, I got called up to the big leagues. I was in the big leagues for about a month because of some injuries. And then I made my AAA debut, I believe, in June. So I flew down to Sugarland. I threw an inning. The next day, I threw two thirds of an inning, and I got called back up and stayed for the rest of the year. There you go. But Albuquerque is worse than Denver, if anybody is wondering, yes. in terms of a place to pitch and the altitude and the way the ball flies. I, I've grown up in Denver. I've played in Colorado my whole life, and some of the things I saw in Albuquerque just in batting practice, I was like, "Oh my god, that <laughs> yeah. should not happen." Yeah. 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 No high ele- high elevation for people that don't know. The ball doesn't move when you're as a pitcher. Ball doesn't move nearly as much. So whatever off speed that you had that was that could have been nasty, might you could have thrown a slider that if you were playing down in say Georgia or Texas or wherever, it, it might have caught a little bit of that air and tailed or darted to the outside corner. You either get weak contact or a strikeout. That same pitch might spin here. And, yes. and, and and move you know a half inch quarter you know an inch and a half and just and then when they do make contact there's no no resistance to the air so oh, that ball's going to fly further so when people when people want to talk about like what like why elevation if you don't understand elevation obviously the ball goes further but nobody really talks about the pitching side nearly as much yes. because it's it's not as sexy to talk about but pitching for the pitchers yeah no the and no humidity as well like yeah doesn't help with the gripping the baseball so high elevation colorado pitchers dry like that dry (laughs) climate is just it's literally hell for a pitcher in every aspect that you can think of so absolutely Uh, and that's a hard transition um even at the big league level when i got called up learning how to pitch in coors particularly against major league hitters there's there's no perfect recipe, but it took me a while to kind of figure out, okay, my breaking ball is only going to move half of what it usually does. Yeah. Sea level. Right. So how do I sequence that? How do I locate that? And you learn and you learn what pitches are most effective and what locations are most effective, but there's a, there's a big trial and error period. And especially for guys like I'm fortunate to be from Colorado 
so I have some experience, but some of these guys from Georgia, Florida, humid sea level places, even California, they come there and they're like, what the heck? Like my slider doesn't move. The ball flies. My fastball, you know, doesn't ride like yeah. it usually does. And you know, it's, it's a big transition for a lot of guys. And it is fortunate that we have Albuquerque, but you know, guys that get traded or guys that we stand up from double A, they have no experience with that. Absolutely. I, I remember my first mistake, uh, Colorado pitching was my freshman year in the, in the fall, right? When I showed up to campus and we had our first scrimmage and I was on the mound and threw a ball probably about letters high and a kid sort of got on top of it, but hit it up in the air. And I made the, the classic pitching mistake of pointing at it. And, <laughs> yep. and our center fielder took about two courtesy, two courtesy steps back and watched it sail 30 feet over the fence. And I was like, what? Like, that is just that. That's I mean, right. yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But like you said, it's something you have to learn with. And it's, it's also just, it's just, it's inevitable. It's something that is going to happen. The ball, you're going to give up cheap home runs, especially at Coors Field. You're going to give up, you're going to make a great pitch and you're going to fist the guy. And because the acreage in the outfield and how much ground these outfielders have to cover, ball's going to drop in front of them too. You're going to say, man, I should have two outs right now. And, and instead I give up a double and a two run shot and my ERA looks like shit. But at the end of the day, you're making good pitches and it's unfortunate. It is what it is. But you mentioned getting called up. It looks like here you got the call and didn't actually, you got up and down, up and down the actual call up debut process is different for everybody. Cause some guys get the call mm-hmm. and then they, they're in. And it sounds like that was the case where you get called up and then you came in right when you got called up, but the second or third, or, you know, a lot of guys are just bouncing up and down like crazy. And as a pitcher, it's even more difficult because you're in the bullpen. You don't know when you're going to come in. You don't know what, exactly. how the game's going to unfold. We just talked to Ken Emanuel. He got called up in the first day. He got called up. He got thrown in with one out in the first inning and he had no idea that that, you know, was going to develop for him. So for you, the call up process was a little bit more sophisticated, but when you actually make your debut on in May was, you obviously had a ton of family there. You had everybody ready to go. How was that debut first outing in the major leagues family there? How did it all unfold? You you had been up previously, so you had seen what the clubhouse looked like. You knew the process is going into it. But coming in at Coors Field, at your home field, family's there. How did that all unfold for you? Yeah, so fortunately for me, um, and this is great, I gave up a home run the first pitch I ever threw, right? And, you know, I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Josh, Josh so Rojas, yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought it was funny because, like, you know, especially as a relief pitcher in Denver, I'm going to give up my fair share of home runs. So yeah. I, did, I didn't take much to it. But, you know, I wasn't as nervous as I thought I was because the big thing for me, especially in the big league, especially with the three-batter rule now, is once you get sent out there, you, you're kind of on in. your own island out there. Yeah. Right? There's there's no – especially my first couple outings, when you – you know, it's not garbage time, but when you get into the games, you're up 10 or down 10 or whatever, they're not pulling you. you if you give up 17 runs, they don't care because we already listed by 10. So. Yeah. You get out there and, you know, you're out there on your own and you're figuring it out. Baptism by fire, I guess. So that first outing was good for me, though. I, you know, I pounded the zone and I was able, you know, I get, I gave up a home run. I got ambushed. Welcome to the big leagues, I guess. But after that, I was able to make some pitches and get through it. And it was, it was good to get my feet wet. And then when, yeah, how were, how'd you feel jogging out there? Tell us, tell us what that jog from well, the bullpen, cause qu- jogging out to the mound, what, what it feel like. Cause quickly you had pitched. I'm assuming at Coors Field at one point or another in high school. Did you guys have any high school yeah. games there? So again, another incredibly unique experience where granted it's 
not the same circumstances, but you had been on that field and played in a competitive baseball game before. Tons of guys, anybody on that roster, unless they're from high schools in Colorado, probably didn't yeah. have that experience. So were you familiar at all? Were you thinking, oh, I came out of the bullpen? Maybe you started in high school. Yeah. We don't know, but you're familiar with it. So, yeah, the jog out of the bullpen, what, what was that like? Yeah, so we had the Futures game there in high school. And the one thing I remember about the jog from the bullpen is that it was a very long way. And that still held true. And it's still a long way when I run out there. Because yeah. I don't think TV does it justice. Even if you're at the field, I don't think it does it justice. You know, really how far the jog is from the bullpen to the mound. <laughs> yeah. You get there and you're like, holy cow. Yeah. And we always make the joke. We watch opposing pitchers come in from the bullpen. Yeah, and, they're you know, we'll, we'll laugh like, they're running too fast right now. That's not <laughs> yeah. good. And you see them get to the mound and they're hopping and puffing and we're all dying laughing. But, you know, other than that, um, I, you know, not to say I don't notice the fans or the crowd because that's, that helps you with a lot of adrenaline. But to a certain extent, you kind of start to try and block it out. And it's the same game we've been playing since we're, you know, four years old. And that's kind of the way you got to treat it. And I'm fortunate we have some good veteran guys that kind of help me through the process. But, you know, just... The biggest thing at the end of the day, and I was told this in college, and I was told this in the minor leagues, and I was told this in the big leagues, is baseball is the same game, you know, your whole life pretty much. As a pitcher, you execute pitches, you throw the glove, you do your job, more times than not, you're going to be successful. And that's kind of the, the approach you have to take to it, um, even at the big league level. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I just know that I think I think, uh, I think for the for like the younger fans that, you know, follow Ryan especially um, – on some of like the MLB the show stuff and that that feeling just from playing road to the you know road to the show on MLB the show that final that moment when you finally make it it just it, i think people wish want to be in your shoes and like understand was your mouth dry was your heart beating a little bit faster where you or have you kind of been conditioned with being in AAA and and like do you kind of like condition yourself like working up to that big league call up where you you start to be even in college probably bigger crowds and kind of get used to like the hoopla of everything you know rather than you know guys that never really make it make it up too far in their careers right so would you say like you had a crazy adrenaline rush in, like in comparison to like any other time that you've been on the mound at least yeah so as a reliever what was weird I had the adrenaline rush of the, of a lifetime when i was warming up right in the bullpen i was probably throwing 105 you know the <laughs> adrenaline's pumping and you know i almost threw too much and you know uh wasted all my energy in the bullpen yeah but you get once i once i got out there i almost had to like calm myself down because i had thrown so many pitches in the bullpen i had so much adrenaline when i was warming up in the bullpen by the time I actually got in the game, it had kind of worn off almost because I was like, holy cow, I am tired. I need to focus. I need to throw pitches. So um, to a certain extent, it's surreal, not to use the cliche, but you you almost don't even realize it until sometimes after games, I'd be walking back and looking around. I'm like, oh, this is, this is unbelievable. This is so yeah. cool. You know, you play in LA and you're walking back from the bullpen. And you're like seeing all the people and people yell and you're like wow this is awesome or Wrigley or yeah. some of these famous places yeah you're like I'm in I'm in the big leagues like this this was the dream so yeah, yeah. that's I mean that's that's awesome to hear man yeah they, they mentioned awesome. that too <clears throat> you hear guys in MLB Network they break down maybe even like the higher ranked prospects or the guys that are having a lot of success or the number one guy that they're going to be calling up and all the, there's mm -hmm. all this hoopla and they talk about well we're projecting him to do this or we hope he does that and then you hear the big league guys that are the, the analysts saying, you know, 
maybe if a guy struggles early on or he doesn't have quite the the optimal first week or two in the big leagues, you hear him say it's different when you get up there. It's the same baseball game, but you haven't played anywhere with three decks. You haven't played anywhere yeah. with Dodger Stadium, 40,000 people hoping that you do as bad as you possibly can. They hope that, like, in the minor leagues, I don't know the experience, not having played there, but I'm sure a lot of those games, midsummer games, they don't hold nearly the weight as a major league baseball game does. So the fans, even if you're on the, you're an opposing player, opposing pitcher coming in, they're not heckling, not even in the bullpen. They probably don't have the access. The Dodger stadium fans are staring right over the top of you looking at you or, or Wrigley field. You're throwing underneath the bleachers and then you come out and they are like, you could feel some guys say they feel drops of beer hitting them on the way out and shit like that. And so it's, it's just, you're not ready for that. A lot of guys and, and even more so bigger market guys that you go to big market stadiums or big market teams, or you're intimidated. And then you throw all that on top of it and you got to get on the mound and your first guy you get is Max Muncy or Bellinger or something like that. And you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? You know, but it sounds like that wasn't something that you were unprepared for, but you also had those moments where you were thinking, you know, this is pretty, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing I tell some guys, like, you know, guys I'm buddies with that are in the minor league still, or even young kids that ask about it. It's like the only thing that really prepares you for the big leagues is the big leagues, because there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing like the stadiums. There's nothing like the hitters. There's nothing like, you know, the circumstances and the pressure and all that. So, you know, there's, there was definitely a learning curve when I got up there of being, you know, how do I pitch in the big leagues? How do I be successful? How do I manage emotions? And, um that's the biggest thing is you know triple a is great but nothing's going to prepare you to throw for throw to bryce harper or juan soto like throwing to bryce harper or juan soto so yeah that's the hardest thing is the only way to get better is to get reps and you know a lot of times when you're getting those reps and learning you get punished and you, you got to learn the hard way unfortunately yeah, yeah. you know you yeah. know you, don't, you can't miss oh two pitches i learned that lesson in my second appearance you know i got crawford brandon crawford oh two i thought i was you know I had it all figured out and I threw an O2 pitch about two inches from where I wanted it. And he parked it in the seats. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different experience, but when you just wrapping up kind of the big league experience you've had, you were up there for a full year. You have come across a lot of guys in your minor league career, coaches, players, teammates. This is a question we'd like to ask as well, but was there a guy in the big leagues having the extended amount of time that you spent up there that you felt like was more influential, maybe just even a in lighthearted case, maybe a favorite teammate, a guy that came in and lightened the mood. Was there anybody in the bullpen, whether it's, you know, Daniel Bard, a guy who's had the experience or anything like that, that uh, like really you felt helped you out and, and was able to give you that sustained success and keep your heartbeat a little bit lower. Well, there was, I was fortunate. There was a lot of guys we had, Robert Stevenson, Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, but Bard was the biggest one for me. Um, I was lucky enough. They put his locker right next to mine. Nice. Um, so I was able to, you know, sit next to him every day. And he was awesome for me, especially as a guy that, you know, he was thrown in the ninth inning for the Red Sox. And then he took seven years off of baseball, made a comeback. The dude's been through it all. So, you know, anytime I had questions, anytime I had, you know, was feeling bad about myself or didn't know what to do, he was always there to help me out, give me advice, you know, walk me through what his thought process was and what he knows. And, you know, it was awesome to have him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, for real. I mean, that's a talk about a talk about a mentor. Seriously, that's a guy guy that missed seven years of baseball because he didn't get the you get the yips. 
Yeah, he pretty much. And gets, get, comes back and gets uh, closer role. Was he but... the comeback? Yeah, was he like the comeback player of the year? NL the MLB? comeback player of the year. Yeah, yeah, NL comeback player of the year. Yeah, talk about a guy to to learn from. Yeah, that's a that's uh, definitely a guy that'll help you through the mental side of baseball, which is such a huge part. So that's uh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's seemingly even you find more so guys don't necessarily. Of course, you gravitate towards the guys that have more success, guys that are better. There's there's tons of guys on the roster that have been up there forever, and it's just another day at the yard for them. But guys that have maybe gone through a little bit more adversity, maybe more calls, ups and downs. You mentioned Stevenson and Estevez. Those guys have come out of the bullpen and, like you said, been baptized with fire and just had to go out and just eat innings a lot of times, especially being how pitching is in Colorado. They got to come in and just throw and give up home runs and while the fans are sitting there with their beers in the rooftop thinking who the hell is this like this sucks you know stevenson again yeah. it's like you don't get it man even stevenson's throwing 100 miles yeah. an hour and getting like balls are just getting shot out of a cannon off of him and you're thinking the casual fans like man this guy it's like just so different but these guys go through yeah. it they have the experience they have the adversity and then daniel bard i mean again talk about maximum adversity the guy f- pretty much forgot how to throw for a long time and that's you know such a detrimental thing to a lot of guys what ended most guys career it looked like his career was over yeah. and then he comes back and just starts shoving again it's just, it's just seemingly a very easy guy to to glance off of when you're struggling yourself thinking well it probably could be a lot worse i probably could forget how to throw or something like that and this guy's been yeah. through a lot worse than me so i'm sure that was a nice luxury more than anything yeah no he was awesome to have and you know, a lot of these guys, it's like you said, they've, they've been through it all. And, you know, having those experiences and being able to relay that information and even make a rookie feel like, you know, sometimes you get out there and you're like, I suck. And just hearing from other guys like, no, this happened. Same thing happened to me is huge for your mental psyche. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That first the first home, the first pitch home run. I, uh, I, I imagine I imagine you're probably just like, well, at least I, at least I got it out of the way early. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's not seriously. like yeah, not not like you got like a streak. Well, he has the longest streak in the career of not getting up a home run. You're just worried about yeah. it the whole time, something yeah, like that. I mean, but one of those things, like I was never going to go my whole career without giving one up. So yeah, I was like, oh, got it out of the way, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. Move on. So cool. So uh, we're ahead. talking about driveline now, right? Yeah, I was going to just touch on a little bit of driveline uh, because it looks like you've been involved up there a little bit. You've been around the guy like Eric Sim. Uh, these guys who it's just interesting to see the content that they put out because it's a ton of professional guys, a ton of big league guys, a ton of experience and baseball wisdom and everything in those rooms. So your experience with driveline and stuff, how has that been for guys that see a lot of content with them or the guys from driveline? How has that experience sort of helped you? Cause you've obviously reached the pinnacle but there's still room to grow, always room to grow. So how is that off the field developmental while you're in the big league stuff treated you so far? Yeah, that's been awesome. I mean, Eric Sims, an awesome guy and he's hilarious. And um, Trevor Bauer is obviously one of the smartest people in baseball and, you know, talking to him about pitching and whatnot has been so helpful to me, you know, just pitch development stuff. And even guys like Johnny Gomes being around um, Eric Gagne, who's obviously one of the best relievers of all time, in my opinion. Um, just learning from those guys and even not asking a ton of questions, but just observing and seeing what they do has been, it's been incredible. And then from the marketing side, I think you guys probably know as well as I do, baseball is not the uh, 
best at marketing the MLB in particular. So, you know, kind of learning from these guys and seeing what they've been able to do to brand themselves and, you know, create content for the fans and everybody at home, because, you know, unfortunately the MLB is not going to do it. So the only way fans are going to get access to it is if guys do it themselves. So, it's, it's been great to be around them, though, and learn from them. Yeah, and that facility, because you've been to the driveline facility a few times, or just is it was it just the one? We, I saw you in an Eric Sim video throwing. Was that the was that a one-time thing, or have you been up there more recently, like frequently, or what? what's like – that whole facility so, is just so high-tech. There's, obvi- there's so much going on. There's, like you said, pitch development, the slow-motion yeah. rap soda, all that stuff that they just – there's cameras and sensors and wires and – all this stuff going on, not to mention if you want to get some work in and pitch to other big league hitters or cusp big league hitters, you have that luxury. So that driveline facility, if you could I mean, do your best to describe it, I mean, like I, I just gave a lot of detail, but it's it's one of a kind. Would that be wrong to say? Oh, no, absolutely. I think that is the the if not one of the most elite facilities out there, right? You have the opportunity, like you said, to throw in front of a Cy Young winning reliever, Cy Young winning reliever, Cy Young winning closer, sorry. Um, you have the opportunity to throw to big league hitters. You have the opportunity to throw in front of guys that have been big league hitters for 15 years. I mean, just the amount of guys that come through and the things that can be learned because everybody has different paths and different knowledge. Um, yep. It's such a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Eric Sim, just for just for our listeners. How is it being around that guy with the camera, with, with the uh, the fanfare that he puts on, <laughs> the, the energy that he brings. You mentioned Bauer, too. We can touch on him, too. But Eric Sim is a general guy. He's obviously got a big presence on social media. How How is it being around him and being in the same room as these guys that are just screaming and yelling and smelling salts and throwing balls as hard as they can? But specifically, Eric Sim, the king of Juco. What's, what's he kind of yeah. like? Oh, he's awesome. So uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say when, but we, we'll have a video. I have a video coming out with him at some point. Nice. So that'll be pretty entertaining. But I'm, I'm more of a laid back guy. And it's definitely a little change of pace to be hanging out with yeah. Eric. And, you know, I have a facility in Denver and it's very laid back. And, you know, I throw my bullpens and, you know, we'll hype guys up a little bit. But being around Eric is definitely a different beast, but it, it's kind of refreshing. And, you know, he brings the energy. He's always got good vibes. Even if he's talking crap, he, he means well, and he's got good intentions. And it's nice to have a guy like that around, you know, to bring the energy, to help you stay motivated, to, you know, kind of get under guys' skin and mess with them and kind of create a competitive atmosphere when, you know, things get a little monotonous sometimes, especially in a time like this when we're locked out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And he, has he taken any at-bats off you? I, again, I don't know if you want to spoil any potential content, but is there a pitch where you're thinking Eric Sims in the box washed King of Juco? I have him O2. I've blown two heaters by him. Do you go back foot slider? Do you go back with a fastball? Have you have you given up anything? Because we all know if you gave up something pretty significant to him, he will never let you hear the oh, end of it. Yeah. So knock on wood, as of right now, Eric Sim is O for three off me with two punch outs. So there you go. That's there it. That's it. So I got to be careful because he gives me crap because I, I posted a video and tagged him a while back and punched him out on three heaters because I got that exact <laughs> situation. And I was like, I know I can get him out with the slider, but I have to throw a heater. Yeah. Because I just want to yeah. be able to say I punched him out with a heater. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, he gives me a hard time. And he's like, oh, if I get you, you just wait. He's yeah. like, I'll be posting that for years. Like, yeah, yeah. I know you will. Yeah. But he's well, a good awesome. dude. That's and, awesome. You know, it's good what he's trying to do for the game. Yeah. Helping, you know, get more content to fans and give people more access to kind of see what goes on. Because, you know, most people have no idea what a big league offseason is like and what guys work on and what the atmosphere is like. Absolutely. And you mentioned the monotony of, of uh, Major League Clubhouse sometimes. Of course, the guys are trying to go out and win. But we mentioned in our last podcast, we had a buddy we played with uh, in college who got picked up as a free agent, uh, found his way actually up to AAA in his first year in pro ball, more so for just developmental sake than anything. It wasn't a a huge hope, but he was up there as a a fifth-year college guy signing. So he's similar age to a lot of these guys, but he's a brand-new face. He showed up to the spring training uh, team. He was just on the bench, hanging out, essentially their third-string catcher, and he had an experience with a guy in AAA that he didn't know very well who ended up uh, recording a productive out, whether it was moving a guy over from second to third on a ground out or a sack fly or something of that nature. And the guy came back into the dugout frustrated that he didn't do more. And our buddy tells the story that he kind of gave him a pat on the ass and on his way back in, kind of like, hey, good job, you know, don't sweat it, nothing like that. And his teammate turned around to him and said, don't ever look at me again. Don't talk to me again. Don't touch me ever again. And of course, you don't have quite that much, I'm sure, in in the big leagues because the guy that would probably never fly. But at the same time, those guys are there to conduct their business. And so a lot of guys can be pretty serious, pretty mellow. And so, like you said, I'm sure it's a huge change of pace to go up to a place like Driveline and have the speakers going and having guys screaming at each other and stuff in a good way, of course. But it's interesting to hear how different of an experience that is. And that works really well for a lot of guys, too. They end up going up there and and hitting a bunch of PRs with Velo and and weights and everything because they never had somebody screaming in their face telling them they suck. And that fires guys up. So it's really interesting to see that. And it's funny to hear about Eric Sim of all people. And so it's a good transition to our sort of our final baseball topic of the offseason workouts and where we are right now. We are obviously locked out. Didn't sound like for a small second there that we were going to be. We end up being locked out. Anybody who knows anything about baseball and the way that this lockout is unfolding, I would assume that a large majority are on the side of Lucas and and the rest of the players. For the MLB lockout, as a, as a foundation setter, how are you staying ready? How are you getting yourself prepared? Because it's not going to be... They signed the deal. We need you in Arizona tomorrow. It's going to be a little bit of a, you'll have a couple days, I'm sure, to get down there. But how are you yeah. being able to stay ready? Are you are you in Arizona? Are you staying in Colorado? Is there is there different for everybody? But for you, what are you doing to, to keep yourself mentally and physically ready to, to play in the big leagues? Yeah, so for me, it's been, you know, it's not hard by any means because it's my job to a certain extent. But I'm I'm down in Arizona, and I've I've been throwing some live at bats to whatever guys we can find, right? Some minor league guys, some forty man guys, big league guys, whatever they are. Um, but to a certain extent, yeah, it 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 gets tough because you psych yourself up all off season for the season, right? You're getting ready, and your main goal is I need to be ready to go for the season. I want to be have a good season. I want to jump in ready to rock, you know, ready to get better, ready to win games. And, you know, when you keep having to push that back to a certain extent, you know, normally I would have reported mid-February and now we're, 
you know, in the end of the first week of March and we still haven't reported. And it doesn't sound like, you know, there's any end in sight as of right now. So it, it, it's hard to not even stay motivated, but to stay focused, right. To kind of see the task at hand and make sure that, like you said, if I get the phone call and they say, you know, came to an agreement, got to be ready in five days. I need to make sure I'm in a position to be ready in five days because yep. especially as a young pitcher, you know, I had a pretty good year last year and I'm happy with, I was able to throw, but I'm still fighting for a job this year and I'm hopefully fighting for a role in the back end of the bullpen and I have to be ready to go. So that's been kind of the tricky part for me is just staying focused and staying locked in and, you know, telling myself that I know it keeps getting pushed back. I know that, you know, we keep having to keep the off season going, if you will, but at the same time, I have to stay ready. And, you know, it's been good to be around other guys that are in similar situations and you know, talking to guys and understanding everybody's kind of on the same page about where we're at. So it's been hard, but it's been manageable to just, you know, at the end of the day, it's my job and I have to be ready to go whenever they call. Absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah that's, a, that's a good way to good, good way to approach it. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I mean, what, what, what else are you going to do? Exactly. You know, you know, yeah. I have you know, no control. You know, they say, they say, uh, wish in one hand and shit in the other one and see what one fills up faster. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can yeah. keep wishing that you're, yeah, exactly. So, so. yeah, the, the last thing here on the lockout, it's a question that we had down and may have been a little bit hesitant to ask knowing that you were coming on uh, a week or so ago, or even longer than that, whenever we had previously talked, but we didn't know at the time, like we mentioned when things are going to be settled. And we also didn't know if this, if we wanted to get an opinion from you because we didn't know a younger guy. We don't know. Some guys in a situation like yours might sit back and say, you know what? I got nothing in this. I'm just a player. I just want to keep my mouth shut and I want to go play. But as it's started to unfold, the most prominent figures in the sport are speaking up pretty actively and pretty vocally against the owner's specifically Rob Manfred and the way these negotiations have unfolded. And as a player, if you could give your side of how you've seen things unfold, what you've heard, we've heard all this stuff on Twitter. We, you know, these reporters claim that they know everything and they see everything. And of course, a lot of reporters are getting their information directly from the owners. And so the owners, it's all negotiation. We all know one side's trying to make the other side look worse and back and forth. And that doesn't mean that, both sides don't have things that they are valid with and certain things that both sides maybe are a little bit out of line with. But the bottom line is the players are looking to get paid more as they should. The owners are looking to keep the money. And that's pretty much without going into it for another hour. That's pretty much the, the yeah. general consensus. So as a player, you obviously stand with the players, but where, where do you see this taking the game of baseball we all know it's a negative, but just your your general feedback on what this lockout has done for the sport and where you stand in all of it. Yeah, so obviously I am biased and obviously I support the players and I've tried to kind of look at this from an unbiased perspective, right? I'm, I'm kind of a logic person and, you know, I've tried to understand it from the business sense, you know, a little bit from the owner's side and obviously I have my own ulterior motives and I want to get paid better and I want to do this and that. But um, simply from an economic side, I think aside from whatever, you know, feelings and illogical stuff, I like to think of it from just an economic standpoint, like I'm an owner, right? You know, everybody knows inflation's happening. League revenues have been going up every year. 
and the salaries haven't followed suit, right? So just the super simple, without even diving deep into anything, the salaries haven't kept up with inflation, right? And that's not a complicated thing to see. But to me, more of the problem has come, and I think this is why guys like Max Scherzer and Bryce Harper and Mike Trout are really speaking out is, to me, I think the owners kind of treated us like we were either stupid or we didn't care or we weren't going to pay attention, right? And I think that's what rubbed most guys the wrong way is, you know, we're going through these negotiations and were there times where the players probably asked for too much? Absolutely. And were there times where the owners didn't offer enough? Absolutely. That's how negotiation worked, right? But when they kind of got to the point where they started to make threats and put their foot down and say, you know, it's our way or the highway, you know, and tried to sneak things in on players, like I'm sure you've seen in some of the articles, that's when I think it got really nasty. And I think, you know, we were trying to negotiate the whole time. And as it came to fruition and seeing the end result, I think part of me feels like this was kind of the plan all along. And it pains me to say that, but it's almost like kind of hearing their offers and some of the stuff, because you only hear, I don't know, 25% of what actually goes on in the media and on Twitter and stuff, obviously. And hearing kind of the bigger picture, it's like, they didn't want to come our way at all. And I don't know if they will in two weeks or a month or whatever. I, I have a feeling they're going to. But to me, it was like this was almost preconceived. And they had an idea when they locked us out December 2nd that this was the plan. And, you know, I don't know everything. But just from my perspective and from my knowledge, it's it's to me, it was kind of negotiating in bad faith. And, you know, I do get some of the things you asked for were probably a bit much. But to me, the biggest thing you can ask for from both sides is just good negotiation. And I don't think we got that. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what we hear from the player's perspective. And it's hard, very hard from a logical standpoint, putting things together, connecting the dots to take a step back as a third party, impartial person, right? We're all fans. We hope the game goes on. You guys are fans to a certain extent. You want to, yeah, of course you want to play because it's your livelihood, but you're fans of the sport. You want the job and the, and the industry that you find yourself in professionally to succeed. And so it's as a logical person, taking a step back, hearing the, the, the sentiments that you sort of echoed there, it's very apparent that there seems to be a number that of games that they're willing to miss on the ownership side mm -hmm. seems to be a number um, an amount of time that they're okay with and the players to their credit to your all credit are sticking to that and sticking it to the owners and saying we're gonna play when we feel we are being treated and compensated fairly and until that happens yeah. we aren't gonna play is it really unfortunate for the fans and for everybody else of course but in the long term it's hard to look at it. I mean, you can see here in my background, I got a Padres thing up being from San Diego, diehard Padres fan. You know, again, I hope I hope you personally do well, but hey, you know, you can do well in the seventh and then, you know, maybe somebody else. I don't know, whatever the case is. <laughs> but but more so, you know, as a fan, I look here and I see my Padres stuff and I'm a diehard Padres are on their way up. Got all these guys, got this young talent. I mean, you're in the same spot. You want to you want to be able to go out there and compete. I want to see my team play a full season and win a championship. But the grand scheme of it is if I want to set my team up as a fan for more long-term success and have my players be more sustainable in the game of baseball 
and enjoy it and want to be on the Padres and this and that. You know, the Padres have done things pretty well for the most part, but that's not the case yeah. for a lot of teams. And if you ended up finding yourself in a in the offseason, somebody, you know, that flurry of action that happened before the lockout and Lucas gets traded to the Pirates or these smaller market teams where the owners are crying poor and pulling in billions of dollars, you're going to sit back and be like, why is why, why do we have 25 guys here getting paid 40 million dollars combined yeah. when the owner is making billions of dollars? Where is this money? Yeah. What is going on? And it's it's a very simple, like you said, an economic, very basic understanding of there's a lot of money coming in, not as much as going out to the product. You guys aren't asking for 100% revenue share. You're asking for a fair share and a share that a lot yeah. of these other leagues are seeing. Professional leagues, NBA, NFL, these guys are seeing the compensation they feel is is uh, appropriate. And so you guys are seeking the same thing. And it's it's just all around, of course, an unfortunate circumstance. But at the end of the day, you guys are doing what's best for you. And I think that should be echoed over and over again. And hopefully we can do that with our platform. So it's good to hear that yeah. you, of course, stand with the players. But, uh, you know, on top of that, the players are doing the right thing because a lot of people can look at it and be, of course, there's the main sentiment of they're already making so much. Why do they need more? Yeah. But for Lucas, it's it's a pretty big jump to go from 550 to 750. That is life-changing money. It's it's already a lot. And they don't talk about, oh, 550 is already so much. Well, he's got to pay an agent and he's got to pay his union fees and he's got to pay for for you know certain parts of your, your living. You got to yeah. pay for all this stuff. And it doesn't end up being 550. It doesn't end up being this huge numbers that even these monster contracts are. And so the high, the more that you yeah. guys can get a share of that I think is important. And, and it's really good to hear another similar perspective. Uh, I'm sure because again, they've talked about the, the deal when it first came out the last, right. The last and final, whatever the yeah. fucking bullshit. Yeah. The last best. Deal. Yeah. The last best before the, the arbitrary deadline that they decided to set yeah. uh, the last and best. Well, the, if you're a younger guy, you're like, hey, what do I care? I'm getting a huge raise, but it's much yeah. bigger than that. And it was great to see those players there, too. Scherzer's and all those guys were there, guys making big money. But younger guys, Josiah Gray was there and these guys that are rookies yeah. in your similar boots, you know, that are like, I, fuck, I'm, I'm getting a raise. That's all I care about. But it's it's way bigger than that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah, that that's that's all we had for baseball. And, um, you know, before we let you go, we wanted to hit you with. uh some rapid fire one answer right. one word you can go more if you want but we had some rapid fires okay. here that we wanted to get from you just to get you to know lucas a little bit better for the for the fans and everything else so number one pretty stereotypical uh question here for a major league baseball player but what is your go-to baseball movie if you got a choice of all of them the money the movie that you're going to be tuned oh, into right you got them all lined up you got them all on dvd you're, you're getting on the plane what's the baseball movie you, you're going to oh see I'm, I'm a guy that loves all of them too so i'm just gonna go right off the top of the head major league it's a great great choice it's a great call yeah it's a great, great call all right, how about favorite non-baseball movie Ooh, um american sniper is one of my favorites um and nice. then like i do like marvel stuff so i'll go with four for that one too. nice cool yeah um okay favorite non home field baseball stadium you played at oh san diego for sure. let's go hey. let's go yeah. <laughs> ryan, yeah. you know ryan loves that one. let's go man yeah <laughs> that, that's... Is, that is a that's a beautiful field it really is they, they've done an awesome job yeah that's that's 
the sentiment I've heard from most guys is is like the being having played. It's no disrespect to even your home field or even the other older classic parks. We had a, a coach at Metro that was a, a longtime big leaguer, and he he was like, "Listen, no no offense, but like I'd rather play in Petco or Angel Stadium or Dodger Stadium than." fucking Wrigley Field or Fenway or these places that it's like yeah it's like I'm peeing in a in a trough you know in the bullpen bathroom yeah. you're like what the <laughs> hell the hell's going on in here you know but uh yeah so so Petco Park good choice and then off the field you mentioned fishing besides let's go besides fishing favorite three off the field activities non-baseball related okay I'm gonna go golf hunting and video games those will be my three okay hey, there we go and what, what's the video what's the video game of choice Ooh, right now it's halo i oh, i think okay. it's either nostalgia or something i don't know but i i've been really enjoying halo i not, think it's just bringing me back memories from like middle school yeah warzone sitting, guy. There on a, sitting there on a snow day i played warzone for, i do like <clears> warzone but once halo came out i kind of got hooked on halo yeah just, i think yeah. it is the nostalgia to be honest with fair you. enough well, and and once they once they got rid of Verdansk, it wasn't. It's never yeah, been the same. Yeah. It wasn't the same. Yeah. They, they did. They followed. They followed suit with kind of what Fortnite did, and they just fixed what wasn't broken. And yeah, then, yeah, that's the biggest thing. I'm like, you just you already watched it happen. Why'd you repeat history? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, okay. Your first choice uh, of a restaurant. Ooh. Any any um, restaurant. It could be chain. It could be you know you could. You could go chain. We're not going to judge or anything, you know, if it's Texas Roadhouse. But if there's like a one name non-chain place too, you got every option in the world, any restaurant in the country. Where's your choice? Okay, I'm going to Carnivore in Milwaukee. Carnivore, uh, where some of the guys took me. It's it's a super cool steakhouse. fancy steakhouse. Yeah. Best steak I've ever had. Okay, that well, sounds, that's so then what's delightful. what's the uh, what's the steak you get if you have your choice of cuts, and also Ooh. how do you like it cooked? So I like a New York strip and at a good place like that, I'll, I'll do somewhere between medium and medium rare, depending okay. on, you know, they all have little different definitions. Sure. I don't like it to be like purple, but I <laughs> definitely got to be red. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then as a general uh, guy, obviously you're now you're in the big leagues. The schedules probably shift a little bit from college when you got early classes and stuff, but you find yourself, being more productive as a morning guy or are you now a, a night owl which one do you prefer you stay up late you get up early morning or a morning or night so it's weird in the off season i'm always a morning guy first thing i do i work out i before i even eat before anything like that's my routine and then once the season comes around i am totally a night owl so i kind of flip a switch just because i have to almost because you know most of your games they're getting done at 10 or 11 yeah. o'clock so you have to be a night owl absolutely Rev, revved up a little bit for sure absolutely all right, all right here's a here's one that uh you, you gotta make a tough decision here well it's not that tough. <laughs> it's not LeBron, that tough lebron james or michael jordan i i think it depends on the circumstance if you're going a true one-on-one -on -one, i've got lebron james but i think if you're talking about who would i rather have on my team i'm going with michael jordan good answer that's that's probably LeBron's where most people are a better skill set height speed size all that stuff but if i've got to pick somebody to win the game and put my life on i mean i'm taking michael yeah that makes sense all right. and then yeah last question here and this might be the toughest one of them all movie production company comes to your front door and they're like we're gonna make a movie about lucas and his life up to the big leagues 
it's a biographical movie but they tell you you have the first choice of any actor in the world to play uh-huh. you in the movie who's the actor you're going with in in a lucas gilbert documentary but you know biographical type of thing i'm taking chris hemsworth and not even because i look like chris hemsworth he's <laughs> such a Okay. Attractive human being. Yeah. And I and I love him as Thor. Yeah. Okay. As long as we can figure out how to throw. That's, that's my that was my next yeah. is he gonna be able to throw can't throw. Yeah, can he throw left handed too, especially? It's gonna yeah, have to I, be that's uh yeah, that's a that's one that baseball movie or any sports movie in oh. general. There's net that you'd never do any justice. And actually what's really oh. funny is that you that you brought that point up is I was watching Wedding Crashers last night. And it's yeah. the scene where it's the scene where they're playing football. And Christopher Watkins is throwing a ball to Bradley Cooper, and 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 they they pan over to uh, Christopher Watkins. He's like eighty years old, and he just goes with his arm like this, and then it Horrible. pans like the camera over to where the ball's at. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a dime that goes like forty five <laughs> yards. And I was like, I was like, wait a minute, yeah, that doesn't oh. add up. But that's a yeah, that's a that's a funny that you said that because I think anybody anybody that's watched Major League or any of those guys, they just oh they have a bunch of actors, it. you know. Yeah. yeah, goofy. They're trying, but yeah, they're trying. Yeah, and that's why so, some guys, some guys go with a, this the stereotypical base uh, baseball guy, Costner, or you know yeah. somebody that at least knows it to an extent, knows what it's going to look like to try to throw a ball. Of course, they're not asking, they're not asking uh, these guys to throw ninety five miles an hour, but something that at least resembles an act, yeah, so an like athletic move, right? Yeah. Absolutely. What if we what if we can get him to what if we can get him like when he's in thought, you know, here on the mound, zoomed in and on then cut away. Face, yeah. And then you cut cut away and you look out on the mound and he just does his mechanics. I think we solved yeah. the issue. Or right we there. could just throw Lucas yeah, in a wig. Throw Lucas in a wig and just have him yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Well Well cool, man. Well yeah, thank thanks so much for hopping on with us. You know, I'm hoping this lockout uh ends soon. I know we both are are, are chomping at the bits to watch a little bit of baseball because we've been making predictions. Um, we're hoping that you have another great year out of the bullpen, man, and continue to uh, you know succeed in your career and chase down that big contract one of these days soon. Um, but yeah, thanks so, so thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, we'll, and, uh, uh, Ryan, yeah. yeah, we'll put you on the list. We, we're starting a list here of the uh, we're the phenomenal fan with PH, you know. So we'll put you in the uh, in the family, but the PH family. So oh, Lucas is yeah, yeah. Lucas is in the family now, uh, and we've got two big league guys in there, and and we're we're Colorado guys, so we'll definitely be stopping by at some point, at least to just say what's up. Uh, probably awesome. probably three or four tall boys deep in, in the seventh or eighth inning when he's coming in for a <laughs> for a two runners on first and second, no outs with uh, Will Smith, Max Muncie, and AJ Pollock, and he's gonna have to just get out of the wiggle his way out of a four to three, okay. you know, jam, but. Yeah, we'll be we'll 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 you know we'll come stop by at some point. Hopefully, you know, keep us in mind, but we'll keep you on the uh on the list of guys we're rooting for no matter what. Even if it is against the Padres, we'll find a way to make it work, I guess. So um yeah, man. Thank you very much for for taking the time out of your day and, and uh talking to us. Best, best, best of luck, not just for baseball, but for for the players in general. We get the best deal possible. Hopefully sooner rather than later, but however yeah. long it takes is what it is. So thank you guys for listening. Lucas, thanks for taking uh, your time, and and we'll uh, we'll catch you at the park at some point. Yeah, thank you guys so much, and thank you for all the well wishes. I had a blast being on here. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back at some point. Yeah, man, oh, absolutely. absolutely, man. That'd be great. We'll, we'll check in mid season and and see uh, see how things are shaping up. Maybe the Rockies are making a push, go. right? There we go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Go. We appreciate it. Thanks, brother. We'll catch you.